Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Backstage With. Conversations with your favourite theatre actors and creatives. I'm Mikey Worrell. The world has changed since I last spoke to you. Theatres all over the world are closed. In the UK, nearly 400,000 jobs in the industry have vanished. We know help is at last on the way, but we don't know when the curtain will rise again on British stages. I think the best thing we can do at the moment is keep talking about the shows we love, the artists we revere, and the art that we are inspired by. Which brings me on to today's guest. I first saw her when she was the first British alphabet in Wicked back at the start of 2007. She made her West End debut in My Fair Lady when she understudied Martin McCutcheon. She went on to star in We Will Rock You, Miss Saigon and Les Mis before she started her journey down the Yellow Brick Road. Since Wicked, she's played Nancy and Oliver, Grizabella in Cats and been out on numerous tours and released albums alongside the Queen guitarist Brian May. She is, of course, the inimitable Kerry Ellis. Kerry, thank you for your time today. Welcome to the Backstage With podcast. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to see another person. I mean, I think we're all really enjoying just having that interaction at the moment. I think we're so grateful of that contact, even if it's over the internet. Absolutely. I know I cut myself off a little bit for a while at the start of all of this. I think I felt like I needed to just take take a minute. And so you are the first theatre person I've actually had a proper conversation with in about three months. Oh, amazing. Yeah, I I mean, I, I, I kind of resist a bit uh, too you know at the beginning I wasn't quick to jump on and and to, and to do lots of content I mean I've I've grown with that over the weeks but I was a bit like that you know I, I kind of stepped back from it initially but now you know it's kind of feels like that that's the way to go and we all have to kind of embrace it yeah and I think I think once we got past the sort of middle of April that was when I started to sort of readjust and go you know we're, we're going to be okay real life will happen again and I'll tell you what, it was when I, I was out for a walk a couple of weeks ago and I started listening to your podcast on my walks. Aww. And you you drop hints when you're talking to people and obviously you don't want to overshadow them. And there were a couple of moments when I was like, hang on, I, I need to know more about that. And then I want to know more <laughs> about that. So all of the questions that I've had in my head when I've been out walking are, are going to come up today. That's so good. You know what? It's really interesting, actually, because it's the one thing that people have asked me. And they said, we want someone to interview you on your on your podcast. So maybe you should come and do it on mine as well. We should collaborate. But uh, people said the same thing. You know, it's great you asking all these questions, but they almost want to ask the same questions to me. And I can't really interview myself because <laughs> that's a bit weird. <laughs> so maybe we should do that. Okay. Well, first of all, I know that you've mentioned one day where you had a cry in your kitchen. But apart from that, how have you been in lockdown? I did. And you know what was really interesting about that was it it took me by surprise because I think I was in denial to start with because it all kicked off and lots of my stuff was not initially cancelled because it was later on in the year. And so for me, I was like, oh, this is okay." And then I had a big job. I think I was going to Japan and that was the first thing that went. And it was about a week after that that it hit me and I thought, oh... it was having no nothing planned nothing in the in the diary or nothing to kind of not to look forward to but just to have a bit of focus and to suddenly have that cut off was it made me feel a little bit out of control and in an industry where there isn't much control and we don't really we don't always have a clear view of of where our careers are going I'm usually pretty organized and I have a few things in the diary so for me to suddenly have no opportunity or no nothing planned was was quite frightening one because of income you know I've got a family and 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 two because of career and and life and passion and now we're like weeks in it's more about I feel like I've had part of me removed you know because it's such it's it's so huge in my life performance and being out there and communicating with people to suddenly not have that has been 
has been quite debilitating in a way. And I'm, I'm realising more and more the longer it goes on. And like today, we've had the news about the, the theatres, you know, being being shut until the end of the year, which I'm sure has hit a lot of people quite hard. I think we'll find our way. I mean, talent and creativity always out. It seems to find its way. And they always say, don't waste your suffering. So there could be quite a lot that comes to fruition out of this time that people have, I suppose. When things started to get cancelled, did did everything sort of fall off a cliff for you in one go? Or, or was it like a, a, a week where you just sort of lost stuff every single day and your diary just started to disappear? It's been a gradual thing. I think because I had a really busy year <laughs> planned, which was amazing. You know, I had lots of lots of things in like a big tour with Queen Symphonic we were doing an arena tour I had lots of one woman shows I was going to Wales Belfast I was going to Cardiff I was going to Scotland again to do a lot of one woman shows and they started to slowly go I think it's amazing how we how we get we adapt so quickly you know the first few are quite hard to take and then all of a sudden you get used to it, which is really strange. And for me, I'm, I mean, I'm always pretty optimistic and I'm always kind of cut half full person. So I'm always kind of saying, well, okay, that's fine. And this is happening now, but they will be rescheduled. They will happen. It might not all happen in the way we kind of expect it to or think it's going to, but it, it will be okay. And that's, that's how I'm trying to live at the moment. And also focusing my time on other things. So obviously it's, been wonderful to be with my family and spend time with my boys and actually have dinner as a family which we never do that's been really nice and to give them some time as well just as a, as a little unit to have that quality family time but in other ways I've got creative I don't think you can stop it you know I think it just happens so my podcast has been a real outlet for me and I've I've loved doing that and it's given me focus and to speak to other people in the same situation has been brilliant. And also the album has been quite a turn of events because I did this this little new album that I've, I'm waving at you now, <laughs> which nobody can see. But I, I, did, I had this little project of doing this album because I had all these shows coming up. I wanted to take, I wanted to have something that was tangible that if people came to see me in a show, they could take away at the end of the show and have something a bit old school that you could hold in your hands, you could read, you had a little booklet, had pictures and information in it, and that was limited. It wasn't going to be available online. It was something kind of special. So I made this album and I didn't put it on iTunes. I I, I printed a, a you know an amount and that was all I was going to do. And obviously lockdown hit, so I thought, well that's a shame I can't share this with people and I was getting people asking me about it so eventually I put it on my website and it went bonkers I turned into my own little factoring manufacturing company and shipped them all out and was signing them and you know packaging them all up and sending them out and that's been that's been brilliant and constant and that's been so nice to feel like I can still connect with my community and provide them a bit of entertainment at this crazy time and uh and that's been really nice. I mean, I've still got a few left, but I don't think I'm going to make any more. I think I'm going to keep it as a, like a little unique thing that happened, you know, and make it special. I'm sure the people who've bought that are probably very grateful that that came out just in time. You know, when you listen to music and you associate it with a certain moments in your life, they'll probably associate this time with your album. The lockdown album. Yeah. And the irony, it's called Feels Like Home. And I didn't plan that at all but the title track is feels like home and it has this moment in time so hopefully hopefully that will resonate it'll be nice now that you've not been able to sing on stages in theaters and concert halls have you been just singing a lot in your day-to-day life at home in the shower doing the washing up more than usual (laughs) not enough it's hard to sing at home my family don't really like it when I sing at home I think because there's so much going on so my kids they want the attention so they don't want me singing and if my husband's just you know like shut up you know if I'm (laughs) so I don't sing as much as I would like and also the only time I've kind of probably sung is when I did the three little lives and it's because I kind of sectioned off that time to sit and sing for an hour and that was just bliss and the adrenaline I got from that and the reaction and the response and the interaction with people online was joyous but to do that at home is is quite tricky because I have to section off a bit of the house and my kids have to then be quiet which is hard and 
it, it's quite an operation, really, which is 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 funny. Even though I'm sitting at home, you know, playing tracks and singing in a very low tech environment, it, it actually is quite quite a lot to organise. But yeah, not enough. I miss it must it. be very hard, actually, you know, given that that's all you've known to, to then have to sort of restrain that and, and stop yourself from just breaking out into a number while you're emptying the dishwasher. <laughs> Well, I have been singing at the top of my lungs when I go out on my bike, which is making me laugh because I got obsessed with cycling. Um, I'm pretty active anyway, but I I love the freedom of being out on my bike and I, I love listening to podcasts. So that kind of is a brilliant kind of escapism for me. But also I love to put a song on and sing at the top of my lungs. So we're, you know, going through these country roads and I, I, that's been joyous. But I fear for anybody that's going past me just hearing this crazy woman singing on her bike. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Let's have a chat about your, your career so far, you know, up to, to this point where we went into lockdown. You, you trained at, at Lane Theatre Arts. What led you there? What made you go, that's the one for me? Yeah, so Lanes was a funny one because back then there wasn't as much choice of of drama college as there is now. You know, there's so many different styles of training that's available now. And there wasn't then. There was kind of like five or six big colleges. And the only reason I knew about Lanes was because my dance teacher went there. I came from a, a tiny little village in Suffolk my parents weren't creatives and we just didn't have the information so my dance teacher had gone to Lane so I thought well that's a great place to start so I auditioned there and then from that we kind of started to hear about other colleges and I also auditioned for Doreen Bird which was a a similar kind of stage school but I didn't get in there and then the other the others I just didn't really know about. So once I'd got a place in Lanes, that that was kind of it. I just thought, well, this is great. My dance teacher went there. It's familiar. And I think that might be a good fit. So that was me. And there I was. You were quite young when you went there. And obviously you've achieved so much since then. Did you always have big ambitions and big dreams? I always had big passion and big dreams. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's funny because when I was younger, I did think, oh, I'd love to be on the West End and I'd love to be on Broadway and I'd love to have an album out and tour the country and tour the world. And and when you start to do all those things and check them off, it's it's weird because you kind of have to pinch yourself and go, oh, my God, I've just I've just done that. You know, something that I dreamt about that I didn't think would happen as a child. I've just done it. And that's that's amazing. And. I'm working on a book at the moment, again, because just utilising the time of lockdown and going over some of my career and past moments has been almost cathartic to to get it out of my system again. But to go back and, and reminisce and kind of embrace and be proud of what I've done has been really lovely because you don't have time to do that. You know, you're always moving on to the next thing or you're thinking about the next job because that's what you're where your brain power is at you know so it's been really nice I was reading yesterday that when you finished at Lane before you jumped into the world of theatre you you did some cruise ship work and you went traveling in America what made you because you know nowadays I think there's a lot of pressure on graduates to go straight into the industry and to try and make it as quickly as possible what made you go no I'm going to take this time I'm going to go away and just see a bit of the world well I think then it was it was a different time and Back then you had to earn your equity card and to earn your equity card, you had to do so many hours of of professional work and you couldn't get into the West End without an equity card. So you kind of had to do this kind of apprenticeship and do, do jobs that weren't in the West End to gain your experience, which I think is almost a shame that you don't have to do that now because I learned so much on the ship doing, I did a a tour called Magic of the Musicals. I worked in a holiday centre singing, you know, just all these things that I was picking up experience from. And then I felt like, even though I was still young when I did my first West End show, I felt that I had a bit of experience and I was ready. Whereas now there is a pressure to go straight into, like you say, be super successful super early. And I'm not sure you're ready for it the weight of a big show or the commitment of a big show is a lot and at 19 if you leave at 19 or you know early 20s is a is a big deal yeah it was just a different time and and I'm I'm grateful for it because I learned so much 
the pressure that you mentioned there about you know going into a big show straight away your big break as it were is quite well documented in in my fair lady (laughs) if you hadn't had that few years of experience before that do you think that would have been an insurmountable pressure yes i do i mean there was pressure but there wasn't there was obviously because i had to deliver this show and people were coming to see this huge celebrity that we all know and love from our television screens i mean martine was huge at the time uh, and she was on the front of every magazine she just released an album she just come out of eastenders i mean she was massive and that expectation from audience members you know to go and see her and then she's not on and they get me was a lot for them however i didn't have anything to prove i didn't nobody knew who i was as long as i did the show well and didn't get it wrong and didn't mess up anybody else's show then i think that was my goal at the time and also kind of to prove people wrong a little bit and to kind of think, no, I'm going to make you enjoy this show. I'm going to make you, you know, come away thinking, OK, we didn't see Martine, but we really enjoyed the show. And that was my aim. And I think having a bit of experience helped with that. I think if I was to do it now, I think I'd feel a lot more pressure because of the expectation and obviously the career that I've had. I think people come to see come to see you and expect you to deliver a certain level of performance. The first time you went on, how much do you remember of, of that day, of the few hours leading up to the 7.30 curtain? Did it happen quite quickly? It did happen quite quickly. I remember getting a call in the mor- or in the morning, I think it was. I hadn't really had any rehearsals because at this time at the National, it was very early on in, in the run and... I was second understudy, actually, and I wasn't really meant to be ready until we, we moved to Drury Lane three months later. So uh, the first understudy, Alex, had gone on in the afternoon and because Martine had been sick. And then Alex got... She was only young as well. She was a bit younger than me, and she got... I think she blew her voice or got tired. So I get a call from the resident director saying, you're on tonight. <laughs> you better come in. So I remember going in earlier and running through the whole show with the resident director in like a little rehearsal room, just the two of us running through all the lines, all the all this blocking. And then I think I got on the stage before the show went up to run about, uh, I don't know, two technical plays just so that I wouldn't get injured. And then that was it. And I was kind of thrown on. I, I, I remember... Jan Johnson, who was uh, who was the dresser for Martine, and she basically was ushering me around. When I would leave the stage, she'd just grab me, throw me in another costume, take me around to the next entrance and throw me on again. And thank God for her, because I think I'd have been all right on stage, but once I got off stage, I wouldn't have had a clue. I don't remember much of the show, but I do remember kind of feeling elated and just relieved that I didn't mess it up. <laughs> was there was there a come down either after you'd been on for Martina when that run was over? Was there a bit of a come down of I've, you know, I've, I've managed to save the show, but there isn't necessarily it's almost a thankless job in that you don't necessarily get all the prey. You know, Martine won the Olivier, but Kerry saved the day. Yes and no. I mean, I don't think I expected I never had that expectation of this is my role. I'm I want this adulation. I deserve it. Because for me, my job was I was a swing, so I would I would take over any of the ensemble roles as well. So I was on quite a lot anyway. And then my job was to to understudy and if if Martine couldn't do it and it's her role, if then I would go on, I would I would enjoy the moment and then I would come away and I would wait for my time when it's my time to play a role. And that's I think that's how I got through it. I never had that kind of showgirls moment, you know, that I wanted to throw anybody down the stairs to get on. I didn't feel like that. And it just wasn't on my radar. And I kind of, I think I, in the back of my mind, I always knew my time would come. And if I was patient, and this was, for me, this was another stepping stone to earn some experience and to, to, to have have that moment of, of playing a lead role but not have the the weight of the expectation and the the weight of having to do the show eight times a week you know so I didn't have that yet which was 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 great so was it when we were rock you came along that you sort of felt a bit more like you were able to breathe and go I can relax into this it's my part it's my show 
Yes and no, because what comes with having a role comes expectation, comes pressure, comes you've got to deliver, you've got to be on your game, you can't miss a show, you can't you can't be 50%, you have to always be on giving your A game. So in a way, yes, I, I was relieved that the role was mine. I wasn't waiting. I wasn't, you know, suddenly waiting just until somebody got sick, which I, which was great, which was wonderful. And creating a role was amazing. But yeah, then suddenly it was like, well, now you've got to deliver, you know, now there's, now you've got to step it up. But I was ready for that. I think, you know, I'd, my chain of events had led me to this point and I had done my groundwork. I'd done my cruise ship. I'd done my tours. I'd done the the holiday centre. I'd, you know, I'd done all these bits. I'm like, yeah, I'm ready for this now. You know, this is, this is the right time. And you stayed there for two years. So you must have really enjoyed it. I did. And I think it was one of the most fun shows I've ever done. One, because we got to hang out with Queen and meet loads of famous people and to play to 2,000 people a night that got up on their feet to sing Rock You and Champions every night without fail was incredible. And the show, the company were amazing. The producers were amazing. And it was a no-brainer for me. I mean, I did have to think about it because I, uh, when you're young and you're, you know, you're hungry for the next thing, I, I did have to think about staying on. But it was, it was such a great job and in such an amazing theatre that, yeah, it was, it, it was great. You worked so consistently from My Fair Lady right through to, I mean, probably the end of Wicked in about 2009, Miss Saigon, Les Mis. And then when I was listening to your interview with, I think it was Alice Living, you just dropped this bombshell that you auditioned for the revival of Evita in 2006 (laughs) and didn't get it. And that was, I don't know about other people, but that was brand new information for me. Was that the first big no you got in a way? No, not at all. I remember auditioning for Les Mis when I was at college and when I left college, I didn't get it. And I mean, I'd had loads of... I remember auditioning for Rent early days and didn't get that. And there was lots of auditions that I didn't get. But I think Evita was the first significant role that I thought, I'm ready for this. This is... I'm ready for this to create this big role, this new invention of this amazing show my predecessors like Elaine Page had done roles like that and I was like this is this is my time to play this role I loved the show it was timing I think and the show had come up and I just felt ready and then obviously it didn't happen but then Wicked happened so I'm I'm also quite a big believer in when it's your time to play something or when it's your time to do something it happens for a reason same thing happened with Cats. You know, I never thought I would get the opportunity to play Grisabella and then it landed in my lap, you know, to go to the Palladium and play it for three months. I mean, that was just, that was amazing. I loved it. In terms of the, the timing of the Evita and, and Wicked situation, had you finished the Evita auditions and had the no and then the Wicked audition started or were you doing them both at the same time and going, oh, do I have to choose? I think they crossed over slightly. I think I may have done about one Wicked audition, but I was quite convinced that I was going to do well with Rita. I think I'd done a couple. I mean, I didn't do very many. I did do a couple. But yeah, I just uh, uh, that was where my brain was at. Like, I was focused on this Evita audition and Wicked was kind of a secondary focus because it was so early on as well in the rounds, you know. But then, it, you know, I think as well when I got that, when I... Told, I was told I didn't get it. I think it then just put all my focus into Wicked, which was which was probably a good thing. What was your headspace like when you were going in for Wicked? Were you aware of a big buzz behind this this new big American import that was coming? Did you know that Adina was going to come over with it? And were you aware of the sort of standby situation that might happen? <laughs> no, I didn't really know much about the show. I remember when I was doing Miss Saigon, I remember one of the guys in the company saying, you should play Glinda in Wicked and I was like I don't even know what you're talking about but I had a little look out for it but it didn't really come on my radar and then obviously when I knew it was coming and the audition came up I got I remember getting the cast album and having a little listen through to the songs I don't think any of us had any idea how much of a big hit it was going to be I didn't really know about it on Broadway either I hadn't really seen it I hadn't got much information about it I knew it was something to do with The Wizard of Oz and about the two witches and that's all I knew and then 
as I went through the audition process, I kind of got on board a bit more, as you do, and you get a bit more invested. And then when I got the role, I kind of knew that I was going to open the show in London. I didn't know that I was going to be a standby because I don't think... I don't think it was all tied up that Adina was going to come over. So that was kind of a, a later a later discussion. But again, that at the time, you know, you could think that I was going to be really disappointed that I wasn't going to open the show. But at the time, I was like, well, this girl has created this role and opened the show on Broadway. And if it had been me in We Will Rock You and suddenly they took We Will Rock You to Broadway and there was a possibility that I could go and open the show with then of course I was going to do it so I could kind of understand it even though yeah there was a moment of oh okay I'd have loved to have opened it but I was kind of okay with it because she was this superstar coming over to open the show and that was fine and it was only three months and then they were going to do like a reopening for me so it, it was kind of it was kind of okay and it was amazing how it almost didn't matter to my journey that I didn't open the show because the the response from fans and the response from the industry that I got from the show was was incredible. It was like I'd opened the show. So it was win-win, I think, for me. Definitely. You said that you weren't necessarily that familiar with the material. So when you're in your first few auditions and your final audition and you're faced with these massive songs, was that the first mm-hmm. time you'd had to really overcome them? And, and how much hard work was that? Yeah, they were hard to learn. And Stephen Schwartz can write a difficult song. I mean, Gravity is probably the, one of the hardest songs I've ever had to sing. I think in those initial auditions, I adrenaline just got me through. And I was singing things that I didn't think I could sing. You know, I, it's amazing. I could sing I could sing the whole show, but sometimes I would wake up and, or, and try and sing it in my kitchen. And have, I'd have no chance. I couldn't even sing Wizard and I. But then later that night... I'm on stage singing it in front of 2,000 people and it's all fine. Yeah, I didn't really think about it. I think that the end of Gravity was tough and when I was rehearsing it and trying to learn it, I was like, yeah, this is high and this is hard. But I didn't. it didn't worry me and I didn't really put too much into it. And each time I did the auditions, it it, it came out. So I didn't, didn't worry about it until I got the role and then I was like, oh, I've actually got to do this eight times a week. This could be tricky. But again, I didn't really take that on until I started to do it and just get it in my body and, and learn how to play the show. And that was an experience in itself. When you were the standby, your first show was a witch switch, as it were. <laughs> well, like that. <laughs> witch switch. <laughs> you had to go on midway through. That was, was obviously very short notice. Were you ready for it? Had you been sort of not waiting for Adina to need to go off, but were you like, come on, I'm ready to do it? Well, it was kind of a mixed, a mixed emotion because I, I had, I had rehearsals because even in the very early rehearsals when Adina was here and they were putting on the show and creating the show, I was having rehearsals as well. So I was working with, I got some time with Joe Mantello, who's the director, and Stephen Aremus, who was the uh, the musical director, supervisor. You know, uh, I got some time with him. So when I did get thrown on, I did feel, I, did, I felt ready. Again, I didn't really think about it. I knew it was my job and I knew if she went off, then I would have to go on. It didn't really phase me that I went on before Gravity because I, I, I was ready. I knew I could do it. I think... I was mixed emotions because part of you doesn't want to go on at all before you open the show or you open your leg of the show. But then part of me did want to go on to have a go, you know, before before I was going to get reviewed. So it was almost like a preview for me. So, I, yeah, I had lots of things going on about it, but it, I, I just took it all in my stride, really. I didn't really have any any good or bad thoughts about it I was grateful for the job and I was grateful for the role and I knew what my job was so I just did it it was it was like going back to those my fair lady days I knew what my job was and and so I was okay with that I'd already that was fine with me before I even went into the show how much do you remember of of that performance can you describe you know the the moment in the show where you went on and what it was like meeting the abyss of the Apollo Victoria and then having to fly and do all of that yeah 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 I do remember it because we switched I remember getting the message from my dresser at 
it was after she, after Adina had come off from Wizard and I, and Adina had obviously said, "I'm I'm really tired. I'm not going to make it." So they start greeting me up basically, and at this point, I'm still thinking, "I'm not going on. I'm not going on. She'll get through it." Even though I'm sat in the chair and they're painting my face green, I'm still going, nah, I'm not going on. And then she got to, I'm not that girl. And she was like, no, I'm definitely going off. So then the costumes start getting thrown at me and the mic's getting on me. And then I switched literally going into the the wizard's chamber. So literally the Defying Gravity scene, there's a, there's a tiny uh, moment where the both witches run off and then they run on again while the scene changes. And so Adina ran off and I ran on. And I, I do remember the adrenaline. I mean, I'd been in a lot of big theatres before, so it wasn't, I wasn't overwhelmed by that because I've been playing the Dominion for years and I'd, I'd come out of Les Mis. You know, it, that wasn't the issue. I think it was the, the way of, I'm about to sing Gravity. Okay, let's get through this. And again, let's not mess it up. And it was electric, you know, getting to the end of Gravity and, and and hearing the applause was amazing. So that, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was it was electric. The way you sing that song, especially during that first run, was, was quite different in some ways to the way that it had been done before and the way that Adina did it. How did you map that out musically? Yeah, I don't think it was intentional. <laughs> I think it was just me being me and that was just how I could how I could sing it. I don't think it was a choice. It was a well this is my voice and this is how I can sing it and that it, I think it developed over the years and it did evolve and it changed. I had to learn how to navigate the show and how to not go out and just blow my voice because I couldn't sustain that. And I learnt that the hard way by blowing my voice out, you know, and, and getting tired and having to go off and rest and come back, which is soul destroying because you never want to let the audience down. People are coming to see you and you you don't want to be that person that, you know, when they open the, the programme and there's a leaflet in there to say you're not there, you know, you don't want to be that because it's, it's heartbreaking. And to sit at home when you know the show is going on is just the toughest thing. It's, it's such an experience, it's such an overwhelming experience, the whole thing. We'll hear more from Kerry in a moment, but if you're enjoying our conversation, please take a second to leave us a rating and a review, and subscribe to the podcast for more interviews with the artists you love. That first three months when Adina was here, before you got your takeover, you hinted when you were talking to Marisha Wallace that you felt slightly in her shadow, not in a malicious way, just that you you knew where the line was. Was that frustrating? And how did you sort of maintain the patience of biding your time? Well, I think I, I knew my time was coming. I think if I if the deal hadn't been done that I was going to take over, I think that would have been harder. And I'm not sure I would have taken the role if I was just going to if I was going to be a standby for the whole year. I, I don't think I'd have taken the role because I, I'd come from creating roles I'd done we were Rock You and then I uh, Miss Saigon Les Mis I was doing music with Brian so I was at a time where to take a standby role at that point wouldn't have been the right choice but the only reason I took it was because I knew I was going to get a chance to then do my own run and thank god I did you know because that led to a Broadway transfer and the fact that Edina was here because we went on an exchange it led to my to my Broadway debut. So again, I I think it was a timing thing. I think that yes, I was a bit mixed emotions because one minute I was opening the show and then I wasn't. But then that brought me a Broadway credit. So I'm grateful that she was here. I don't think I ever felt in her shadow as such. I think I just I knew my place. I knew the job, and. It's like exactly that. It's biding your time, just stepping back and and waiting. And, and, and I was okay with that. Did you get to chat with her much? Did you have much of a relationship? Or I want to know as well from your experiences actually being Alphaba with the rest of your company, how isolated that feels? Or do you have an involved relationship with, with your company when you are the standby or when you are Alphaba? Yeah, it's, it's a tough one because it is quite a, a lonely show in a way. I mean, even though you're on stage with people you don't you don't have much time off stage so 
I would try and always make sure that I would interact with as many people backstage as I could. I would always say hello or high five people or there's a moment where you go through the band, through the pit. So I would always like bang on the band's door and wave and before you come up to do no good deed. Because I think it's really important and I'd always be at at warm-ups which is where the full company are on the stage before the show, just to say hello to everybody, because I think that's really important to get that kind of unity and that company feel. You know, I think it's important for you to be there. In regards to Adina, I didn't, I didn't see her that much, because obviously if she was there, I wasn't, and vice versa. But I did see her, and she was always very gracious to me and lovely. And we then got to work together later on chess, very briefly. I mean, we did a song together, but that was lovely too. And, and you know, she's a star. She's a superstar. So to be around her was lovely. And she, and she was great at, at the job, you know, really good. So you did your first few shows in November 2006 and you took over on New Year's Day 2007. I mean, talk about <laughs> bad timing, right? I know. And there's a story behind this because at the time I lived in this little masonette in Broccoli and of course it's New Year and my neighbours were having like the biggest party and I was having an absolute meltdown because they're up and playing loud music they're having a house party until like three in the morning four in the morning and I'm just like crying because I can't sleep and I know if I can't sleep I'm going to be tired and I'm not going to be able to do the show and it was just loaded with so much pressure so yeah the timing wasn't that ideal but it was what it was and you have to just deal with the situation <laughs> How was that first show after that? The first show was fine. The The show on New Year's Day was fine and, and electric and exciting. And the response from the crowd was unreal. You know, running through the clock at the, at the first entrance and hearing that response was, I mean, it took my breath away. It still makes me, it takes my breath away now to think of that response. What was tough was the day after that, the second show, because I was tired. You know, I'd come out and I'd guns blazing that very first show and, the following day, obviously, my voice is a little bit swollen and tired. So getting through that was tough. I think I may have even missed a show that week just because it was a lot, you know, a, a massive amount from nothing. You go to do, you're coming from doing maybe a show, two or three shows a week sporadically to suddenly having to do eight shows. And that was, that was hard. That was hard. You talked with Shoshana Bean about the the pressures of, of being alphabet. No one tells you what you're going to have to deal with. No one prepares you for that. (laughs) I think with that show, I think everybody has their own alphabet story. And I think it's almost like a unity, a sisterhood that we all have because everybody knows how difficult it was. I think the only person that says it was easy or was was a breeze is Rachel Tucker. I've heard her talk about it, but everybody else that's played it has a story, has a, it's challenged them in a way that no other role has. And I remember going to Broadway and Julia Murney reaching out to me and I'd never met her before and she emailed me. She must have got my email from um, the company manager and she just reached out and just kind of said, I know you're here alone. I know how she played the role on Broadway. I know how difficult this role is. I know the pressure you're under. And if I can be a an ear, then please just, you know, shout. And that hit such a that's so kind a nerve with me because it was so generous and so kind, and it it made me go when I came back from from Broadway. It made me check in with new alphabets and and because it meant so much to me. Not that I mean I spoke to her occasionally, but not it, it just meant so much that somebody had reached out and gone. I know, I know what it's like, and you're okay. You know, and, and I think, like I say, everybody has had their own mental issues with that show, good and bad, you know, and I think it's it's a tough one. I don't think it should be an eight show a week show. I think it should be six or less. I, ju- I just don't think anybody should have to sing that eight times a week. And I don't think that will ever change, <laughs> sadly. Let's talk about Broadway. How did that initially come about? I mean, I'd been doing the show about six months in London and I think Joe had come over, Joe Mantello had come over just to check in and do a little clean up, you know, and I think it was then he he suggested it. Um, And before I knew it, my agent was having conversations with the New York offices and 
figuring out a way that they could do it. And the way that they could do it was I could be, you can either go as a, be sponsored or you can have a green card or you can go on an exchange. If somebody from America has come here, somebody from the UK could go there. I don't think it has to be in the same show, but there has to be an exchange. And Edina was my exchange and, and that was it. And it was a few phone calls and that was that was pretty much it. I mean, I'd done the show, so I was just going to go. And, and it was like doing the same show, but just in a different city. <laughs> what was your life like over there? You went on your own. You had this whole city, but a very different community. Did you manage to integrate with them? Did you network or did you just live like a nun and try and get through the show? I did a bit of both. I mean, I had to, I had to live quite conservatively because just the weight of the show. I mean, I would love to go back and do something a lot less stressful and enjoy. I love New York and I have a real connection there. And I love going there for long weekends and doing various concerts and bits and pieces. And, you know, it really has my heart. But at the time it was it was mixed emotions. I just met my husband before we left. So we were kind of Skyping a lot in the days of bad Skype when it's like, and it cuts off and, oh, I mean, those dial-up tones that gives me nightmares. (laughs) And lots of friends wanted to come and see me, which was lovely. But of course, I couldn't be social with them because during the day I was pretty much not speaking, you know, and resting. and, And that was hard. But I did walk around a lot, which I loved. I mean, I'm quite happy with my own company anyway. I like just wandering around and I did a bit of yoga out there. I'm okay with my own space. So I I loved that. I would love to go back and just, yeah, do something a little easier so I could enjoy it a bit more. (laughs) You came back to London and did a final five months or so. Yeah. And then you came back again and did another two months in 2014. I did. I, when you were in the show or when you'd left the show, did you ever have a little YouTube search and just <laughs> either for yourself or for other people just to have a watch? No, I don't watch it. I don't look at it. One, because I don't want to see, I don't want to be influenced because it's, if you watch something, you can so quickly go, oh, I'll give that a try or oh, why can't I do that? Or oh, maybe I should do it. Like You know, it it just brings up too many things. So I try not to. I did go and see the show before I came back in. I think it was Lexi doing the show and I did watch it before I came back. You know, when I came back from Broadway, I watched the show to see, you know, if it had changed or anything. So I did watch that. And that was really nice because she was so different to me. So I could kind of sit back and just enjoy her performance and enjoy the show. That was lovely. And I think I also went to an anniversary and I think I saw Rachel Tucker at one of the anniversaries, I went to the the launch and the party and all of that stuff. And that was nice because I had no link to it then. And yeah, going back into it like five years later was was interesting because I, I, was, I was a bit like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I've got the strength to do it again. But it was, I'm glad I did because it, it really made me stronger and appreciate that I could still do it. How did you approach it when you went back in 2014? Because, you know, five years is a long time to to grow and to change and to have new perspective. Did it almost feel like unfinished business? No, not at all. I mean, because I'd gone out in such a bang. I mean, I remember my last performance before when I'd come back from Broadway the first time and and it was electric. I mean, that response, I mean, it stopped the show. Every number was like just the applause was going on for so long and mm-hmm. people were kind of getting emotional and it was it was such an event that I felt I'd done it. I felt I'd had my time. I'd been in the West End. I'd been on Broadway. I, I, I thought that book had closed. I really did. I had no intentions of going back and I had such good memories. So when it, when it did come back, I was a bit like... In that time, I'd got married. I'd had a baby. I'd done other shows and I wasn't sure that... I, did, I wasn't sure that it was going to be the same response. I was nervous that it would it would damage my memories. It would, wouldn't would live up to the expectations. There was a lot going on. And also, if I could do it, if I could still deliver it. But it did. It was amazing, if not better. I felt like I could do the show better. I had more experience. I had. I was a bit older. I had more understanding of my voice, the show. I felt I had more weight as a as an actress like as in more grounding better choices so actually I enjoyed it more 
It's funny because you did all these big roles in your in your 20s. And I remember being a teenager and watching you and thinking, oh, my gosh, it's amazing. And now I'm a similar age to the age you were then. And I think, oh, my God, I could never do any of that. <laughs> when you establish a profile like you did so early on, particularly in your 20s, when you're still growing up and still learning, do you feel a pressure to, to maintain that profile and to, to keep going and to, oh, my God, I've got something to live up to? What now, you mean? Yeah. No, I don't feel a pressure. I I think because it's interesting. I almost it's not like I forget what I've done, but it's it's amazing when people say, "Oh, do you remember this? And do you remember that? Oh, I loved you in this. I loved you in that." I'm like, "Oh my god, I forgot I did that." It's like it's like this amazing Santa sack, you know, with all these amazing things that I did in it. That occasionally I'll open the sack and go, "Oh my god, you know, all those best presents that I did. They're so amazing." Now I feel I have such passion for what I do that I'm constantly like ready to do the next thing. And I love reinventing different avenues, like things like the podcast or the album or different tours or something. And then a play will come up and then a a voiceover. And I love the variety that it brings me now. I don't ever feel like I'm, I'm chasing like a level or, or an expectation, but I, I, it might. It's probably out there, but I'm. I think I'm unaware of it because I'm just in it because I love it. You talk a lot about mental and, and physical health, and, and you know, self care has become a much more talked about thing in the last couple of years. Yeah. Do you think things you do now, like yoga and, and meditation and, and fitness, would have made your life easier 10, 15 years ago? Do you think if you if you were doing some of the things you do now when you were in shows, oh, absolutely. you would have been able to... Absolutely. I think when I was doing especially quite physical shows, I wouldn't think that I would need to do any extra exercise or any... Although I say that, when I was doing Wicked, I did a lot of yoga and that helped. But I think that comes just comes with age. I think when you get older, you have to look after your body. When you're younger and you're doing these physical shows, that kind of all takes care of itself. But when you get older, you kind of have to... Like now I notice if I don't keep fit and I don't eat well and I don't, you know, put good things in my body or look after myself, it's not as easy to to then go and do a show, you know, for two hours. Like if I'm not keeping show fit to suddenly then go and sing for two hours and run around in like stupid high heels and 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 have to sing for two hours and run around I, I wouldn't be able to do it so I think I think it's the beauty of youth isn't it you don't you don't need it when you're younger I mean it may have helped me a little bit but I think I need it now whereas when I was younger I it would have probably aided me but I didn't need it I also think it aids my like I say my mental health exercise in whatever form it is even if it's walking the dog if it's a cycle a run whatever it is a little stretch I think it aids your your mental health it it puts you in such a good place obviously your career did not end by any means with Wicked you have done so much since then with Oliver the Les Mis film countless tours cats <laughs> albums I'm very just conscious of, of the amount of time we have left together <laughs> so the, there are three things I have left to ask you and they'll all be yes. a little bit familiar because they're the things that you ask your guests at the end of your <laughs> podcast let's talk about your highest point and your lowest point first of all Oh, okay. So my highest point, um, there's lots. I mean, Verona has to be up there because it was epic. It was such a performance. And I remember the walk to the centre of the stage in this incredible, it looks like the Colosseum, but it's it's a venue in Verona. And it was live on television. It was massive orchestra band, you know, and, and that walk to the stage, I thought if, and I remember looking around thinking, this is incredible. If I don't do anything else, I'm happy because this is unbelievable. So that was pretty, pretty important. I mean, things like doing things for the Born Free Foundation, doing the Festival of Remembrance at the Albert Hall, those things are really important because I felt like I was doing something for a greater good, you know, I had purpose. But there's so many special things First album, first, you know, all the West End shows. Everything is so important that it's hard to to segregate between the best. So, yeah, that's tricky. Lowest, lowest. I, I think lowest would probably be, I mean, there's been a few, you know, shows bring their own challenges. 
leaving my first agent, my big, I was with Jörg Betts for a long, long time and leaving him was quite tough um, because it was like a, a marriage breakup. That was really difficult and it felt like a support that I'd had for so long, I was saying goodbye to. That was really difficult and also wicked when I was, when my voice was gone. I mean, it didn't go completely, but I was on the edge, you know, it was really really long like run down and that was that was a dark time for me but yeah I got out of those things quickly I'm not I'm not one to dwell on negativity so I find a way out pretty quick and the last thing what (laughs) you know what's coming I Um, do (laughs) what advice would you give to 20 year old Kerry of how to keep calm and carry on (laughs) there we go you had to say it oh I did um I think I would say to myself, enjoy the moment and enjoy who you are at that time. We're so quick to criticise ourselves and go, oh, I wish I was thinner. I wish I was taller. I wish I was, my hair was longer or shorter. And I wish I could sing differently. And then when you look back 20 years later, you go, oh my, you know, you were beautiful. You were thin. You were, you know, I looked the best that I could have looked. I loved my hair, you know, and and." Also, enjoy the moment of what you're doing because, again, when you're younger, things go by so quickly and you're always looking for the next job and you're always looking for the the new, the next big thing and you don't sit in the moment. And I think only 20 years later, I've learned to appreciate that and to be in the moment. And I think that's just when you get older, things seem to... You, you resonate with things a little bit more and you, you learn to to appreciate things a little bit more. So I would say just be in the moment. That's wonderful. Thank you so Yay! much for, for <laughs> your time. It's been so lovely to, to chat to you. And honestly, 15-year-old me would be screaming that I got to do this. Oh, thank you so much. What a lovely chat. I really loved that interview so much. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to download my conversations with some other former Elphabas and Glinders, including Diane Pilkington, Alice Fern and Emma Hatton. You can find all of them wherever you're listening to this. I'll be back next week with another actress who's used to being painted green eight times a week. That's backstage with Alexia Kadim next Tuesday. Until then, thank you so much for listening. Listening.